Hi, this is James Rickbeal, and you are listening to The Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Probiotic Life. I'm your host, Ben Klenner. Well, thank you for tuning in today, and thank you for all those who have subscribed to the podcast. Um, Today, we're going to dive deep into the soil food web. Now, this is a great episode. Uh, I interviewed James Rickbeal, and I found him on Instagram um, his tag is at microbe herder. And I thought, that's such a cool tag, microbe herder. What is this guy all about? Checked him out. Uh, he's actually a cannabis grower and uh, lives in British Columbia, Canada. And he is a soil food web enthusiast. So his Instagram account isn't just bud shots. Um, he's actually a student of Dr. Elaine Ingham. And he puts up all this stuff uh, with, uh, with his microscope, puts up all this stuff on Instagram of like little uh, protozoa and flagellates going around eating bacteria and stuff. It's really cool. Um, so definitely check him out, Microbe Herder. So today we're talking all about the soil food web. Um, James is a compost artist and really into ecosystem restoration. And he's been promoting for a while, he's been promoting this uh, conference called the Science of Regenerative Cannabis Cultivation Conference. And they're doing a series of those. He was at the first one in Vancouver, BC. And uh, the cool thing is, like the cannabis community, uh, no matter what your stance is on cannabis, these guys, especially in the Pacific Northwest, are leading the way in regenerative agriculture. They uh, are dedicated to what they do and they're putting in the time and effort to learn about the soil food web and regenerative agriculture. So in this interview today, we really make some great connections between soil health and human health. And this is like what I'm, I get fired up about. This is what I'm passionate about. Um, James is actually getting certified as a soil food web consultant um, under Dr. Elaine Ingham. So he's going to be starting his own consultancy uh, company, as he mentions in the episode. Um, but one of the other things that we touch on that I thought is really important is actually this thing about plant succession, about the uh, fungal to bacterial ratio in the soil. So uh, definitely if you haven't heard Elaine Ingham before, you uh, this is some great stuff that you want to take some notes to. If you have, we we go over in detail about the fungal to bacterial ratio. And really we talk about how the microbiome affects everything, you know, the microbiome of our body and the microbiome of our soil, how it's so connected. So this is a great episode. Before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to our affiliate microbiometer.com. Now, you've probably heard me talk about this before. This is a little uh, a test kit for testing soil 
And also I've uh, heard of people testing their career natural farming inputs to see what the biological biomass of the soil is, the microbial biomass uh, in the sample. So uh, this is a, an effective and a relatively cheap way of testing your soil or your biological inputs to see how active they actually are and how effective they're going to be. So when you go to microbiometer.com and you purchase one of these, uh, in the checkout you can enter the promo code PROBIOTICLIFE and you will get $10 off your purchase and they ship internationally. And also, what I've been up to, I've been still growing some mushrooms, not as consistently, but we're getting some great harvests of oyster mushrooms. Uh, Really, I'm thinking about creating a platform for life to thrive, and especially in my body. Uh, So I'm actually doing this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it's not a full fast, it's, it's greens and fermented things, so sauerkraut. Um, I am doing uh, having kombucha and kefir as well. I want to keep those uh, my, my cultures going as well. But the idea is just to give my body a bit of a cleanse. You know, I do actually drink a fair bit of alcohol. I brew a lot of beer and uh, mead and that sort of stuff. I need to give my body a bit of a break. So, yeah, just some time of reflection and focus really start to create a probiotic life, including my health and my diet. So without further ado, let's get into this great interview with James Rickbeal. Today, we have James Rickbeal. Now, I know him from Instagram uh, as Microbe Herder, and he's all about compost tea and compost and growing. And if you have a look at his uh, Instagram, you'll find that there's a lot of inspiration on there. And so got him on the on the show today to really share with us his journey. Welcome to the show, James. Hey, Ben. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here to share with you guys. I love soil biology. I love plants. I love growing all types of plants. I love healthy soil. So I'm happy to be here and happy to share with you guys. Fantastic. And, you know, the probiotic life is all about connecting that uh, making the connections between soil health and human health and sort of everything in between. And what I was really interested in, I, you know, I've seen you on uh, f- post on Instagram for a while, but the photo of you and Chris Trump and Dr. Elaine Ingham, and I thought, oh, wow, okay, he, I want to hear his story, what, what he has to tell. So I'd love for you to start sort of what happened in that picture, and then we'll move back into um, where you started. Okay, so for that picture, we were all outside. We I forget which presentation had just finished, but it was I think it was a lunch break in between some of the presentations, and there was a bunch of people outside gathered out there, and I saw Elaine coming, so I grabbed her by the shoulder and said, I need a picture with you now. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much just like that, and I uh, gave my phone to my wife, and she took the picture and then Chris Trump came over and gave my wife his phone and he wanted a picture with Elaine as well. So they took a picture together and then I jumped in and said, okay, we need all three of us. I need to be here with you guys. This is like the soil food web and the KNF. This is like the ultimate, right? Like awesome. you can't get much better than that. Yeah. It was, a, it was an excellent moment. 
Fantastic. I love Elaine and I love Chris. They're both amazing people. Gentle, kind, amazing people. And it's something that you've been studying uh, both those streams. Is that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think to really get to a point where you are doing your best in your garden, you're going to be taking the chemical aspect. You're going to be taking the soil food aspect. You're going to be using those inputs in the KNF aspect. And you're kind of marrying all three of those philosophies into one overall arching blockbuster growing system. Yeah, that's cool. It's all about soil life, encouraging soil diversity, microbiology, that diversity is what you want. And through these means, we can really tweak, tune, and just go above and beyond where we are now with our conventional ag or our conventional organic ag, which is a thing, and our just our organic from the heart soil food web growing. For sure, for sure, yeah. So James, I would love for you to to share with us uh, how did you actually what were what was happening for you that you really uh, wanted to connect with or or get into uh, growing probiotically? Well, for me, um, I had to stop work in 2013 because of a mysterious chronic illness that I had no idea what it was. It took them quite a few years to diagnose me. They finally diagnosed me with uh, severe fibromyalgia. And, uh, you know, the only way to treat fibromyalgia is through medication pills. And I, I just don't subscribe to that um, methodology in, in healing us. It's if you want to heal yourself, you have to you have to heal, you have to fix the problem. You you have to get to the root of the problem. You can't just mask the symptoms because you'll never fix the problem by masking the symptoms. So the whole probiotic life really took off for me in terms of my own personal health in about 2014, 2015, I was just not feeling good, pain everywhere, head to toe, um, joints, everything. And I really just started reading about probiotics, body, the, the brain, the bacteria in our microbiome. And it really, really, really coincided with everything that I was doing and everything that I was interested in soil. So it almost seems like a, a sort of organic marriage of the two that I'm going to heal myself through my soil biology and through um, these types of probiotic living practices. I think a lot of people find that, you know, they're, they're on a path and maybe something happens um, to give them a bit of a jolt and wake them up. And then they realize that this stuff that they were hearing about, oh, there's actually something to that. There's actually something um, that that now I have an emotional connection to. I want to learn more about this. Absolutely. And, I, and I've been, I went down the pharmaceutical roller coaster, as I like to call it. I have tried, when I go to the doctor and they look for something to prescribe to me, they're like, well, we've given you everything. There's nothing really left to, to take. And none of it, none of it helped at all. So we have to find the probiotic way. We have to restore our 
ecological system. We have to get those bacteria back in our body. We have to get that connection to our ecosystem and healthy food and nutrient-dense food. And we, that's the way we have to go. That's right. And that, and that connects, connects to uh, building soil and building soil biology. Yeah, everything. If we want to be here in another 150 years, 100, 100 years as a human species, we have to make that shift because the incidence of chronic disease is just on the rise. And pretty soon, everyone's going to be sick. And the only people making the money are the big chemical ag industries who are selling the, the toxic chemical poisons to the farmers to use with their Roundup Ready seed and then selling you the cure in parentheses. Exactly. And this is why I want to showcase these connections between soil health and human health. So how did you actually get into soil biology and growing cannabis organically? Well, I've, I've always loved growing. My dad has always had a garden in his backyard. So whenever I used to go to my dad's house, we always used to go into his backyard. And, you know, there's potatoes and rosemary and just all the good things, onions, carrots, right out of the ground. We pick them, we eat them. So very early on, I had that love for gardening and vegetables and the access to fresh vegetables. Um, from there, uh, I started as a synthetic grower. I was the typical bottle-fed, subscribed to the complete 16-bottle nutrient program. And uh, one day we were at the grocery store, and the, the, there was a bunch of guys in the grocery store, and they were talking about this organic soil recipe they were using. So what it was was just a bunch of... 686, a bunch of salt fertilizers into a soil mix. And they would run that until basically their fourth week of flower. And then they would supplement with, um, I think it was General Organics at the time, the General Hydroponics Organics line. And so I, I tried that and I'm always questioning everything. I have to know why this works or what's going on. Why didn't my plants grow? Why did they do this? Why didn't they do what I wanted? So we did the, that whole recipe and that whole thing. But I thought to myself, you know what? This isn't organic. I'm still buying things. This is, just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like growing in the ground. So from there, I really started researching, well, how do plants grow? What do they do? And the very first book that I came across was Jeff Lowenfeld's book, Teeming with Microbes. And that book absolutely blew my mind. The three books that he's written are absolutely fantastic, and I would recommend them to anybody. But with Teeming with Microbes, he took Elaine's 40 years work and pretty well put it into newspaper style format where it was really easy to understand, really easy to read. And from there, it blew my mind. So as soon as I started doing that, I researched as much about the soil food web, soil microbiology, anything I could find. And, you know, quite a few years ago, there wasn't very much on the internet. So I would find the random Elaine Ingham webinar or somebody where somebody posted something on YouTube and there's so it's very hard to find and um, from there I located uh, a webinar that uh, was with Dr. Ingham and it was a podcast and at the end of the 
podcast, there was a 50% off for her online classes being held at ECI at the time. And I just, I jumped all over it. And as soon as I did that, I, I mean, teaming with microbes blew my mind. But the soil food web course that Elaine taught me, it changed my outlook on everything around me. It, I, I couldn't look at anything else again the same. So it was just a massive, massive influx of information that just completely changed the course and direction that everything I've been doing since. That's fascinating. You know, I, I've uh, looked at her course, uh, seen the outline and everything. And to be honest, I think I've been a little bit hesitant on taking it. You know, it looks like um, a big big commitment if you actually want to um, apply yourself and get everything out of it. But what, I, what I'm what i noticing is mostly the, uh, the people in the cannabis industry are the ones jumping on board because they're the ones that are, that are the most innovative um, and have a bit of uh, money to put into uh, like developing their their own scientific method. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I find that, I mean, you're still going to find a ton of cannabis growers that are diehard salt heads like I used to be. Um, but I, I find that it's people that are stuck in that mindset that are cannabis growers are either scared to change or just don't have the information or the knowledge available to them. But I find that there is a gigantic community and there is such a keen interest in the cannabis community with the organic movement. It's almost like a trickle that will become a wave that will change the world. And and it's a giant microcosm that's just trickling and as the drops fall off of this big group it seems like more and more people are sucked into it and and sooner or later it's gonna really flow over into the conventional agriculture system because our conventional agriculture system is really if you think about it at its limit we are at the point where you can't till any deeper you can't put on more synthetic chemicals. You can't spray these toxic chemicals. It's killing the soil. It's killing our ecosystem, and it's killing us. Yeah, yep. And and uh, this is why uh, we're having these conferences like the Regenerative Cannabis uh, Agriculture Movement. So um, any sort of mindsets that you would say that lear- you've learned along the way uh, along your journey that have helped you that sort of developed the way that you think now well definitely teaming with microbes dr ingham's online classes but really looking down the microscope was just a huge eye-opener when i got my microscope and i started doing the actual microscopy and looking at soils looking at compost looking at liquid extracts looking at yogurt looking at my ferments looking at the liquid in my kimchi um all of these things were so def- like everything's alive everything is alive yeah. and it's amazing to to take a drop of uh, a kimchi or a sauerkraut or a yogurt do a little dilution and see everybody happily f- swimming around in there and it, it's just seeing is believing actually for sure 
So you 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 got your microscope. You started um, looking at different things. And at this time, were you taking Elaine Ingham's course? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I got the microscope. Uh, I I signed up for the courses. I got the microscope in the mail like a week later. And actually, before I even looked at all of most of the courses, I went straight to the first two microscope courses, learned how to set the microscope up properly, how to go throughout all of the configurations that you need to do to, to look at a sample. And then I went through the rest of my course because I was so intrigued. Uh, I knew I know knew the basis of the soil food web, the who's who, the bacteria, the fungi, protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods, etc. But I just needed to get in there and and have a look for myself. Fantastic! And so I'm sure you were keen to start brewing uh, compost teas and that sort of stuff straight oh, away, yeah. straight away. What 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 was the first thing you did when you were taking Elaine's course? Well. I, I'm always brewing uh, constantly. As soon as I got my microscope, I had a compost tea going. I had uh, a protozoan infusion going. And it's just, it almost seemed like every time I used the bucket or dumped it out, I dried it out, put it back together, and did it again. It was, it's, it was pretty much an addiction for the first, you know, five months because watching a protozoan infusion made with kelp and alfalfa or some type of plant material, watching it every 12 hours evolve. So you 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 basically, you get uh, in your first slide, maybe 12 hours, you get a little bit of bacteria, you get some, some round cocci, you get some bacillus, and you get some different species of cocci and bacillus. And then 24 hours later, it's, it's like, oh my God, wow, look how much more of everything there is. And then 36 hours, you're like, oh my God, there's the bacteria is just getting out of control. There's some that are zooming around, omodal bacteria or zooming around and some of the lactobacillus, they, it's just amazing. And then to watch the evolution of the protozoa, all of a sudden, the bacterial biomass gets high enough that you start seeing all the protozoans, all the cysts emerge into the brew. And it's like, oh, wow, I can see all these guys everywhere. And another 12 hours later, they're inside the brew, actually grazing in all these bacteria, eating the bacteria down. And you go another 12 hours, and then all it's, it's almost just protozoa. All of the bacteria have been completely consumed and cycled through that brew in in through the protozoa, and then then another twelve hours later, it's just cysts again, and then it's just it's just an amazing, beautiful process to watch the evolution of the soil food web and just that specific portion of bacteria, that interaction of bacteria and protozoa. Protozoa are definitely the masters of the rhizosphere. They are. Amazing, really, and and so you're talking about um, forty eight hours plus brewing. Yeah, well, and it all depends on where you're brewing as well, too, because the conditions you set up for the brew, like so, if you're going to be putting these protozoa and or these bacteria and protozoa outside in a greenhouse, you're going to want to brew at those ambient temperatures because it's those bacteria, those protozoa who are actually working and doing the job at those conditions, at those temperatures, at that moisture level in the soil, right? Mm. So you always want to brew where you're going to be placing. So you're always in those conditions and you're always supporting the beneficial organisms that you want to support in that moment in time. 
Right. So it's not just like throwing a bit of compost in uh, a bucket and, and bubbling it. You want to actually sort of cater it specifically to uh, where your plants are in the growth cycle and what conditions you have outside. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Because those are going to be the microorganisms that are awake. It's like, here's for example, if you brew a tea at 75 degrees and you go outside and it's, you know, it's 35, 40 degrees out, those those microorganisms are probably not going to make it. They're probably... Most likely, some of them will make dormant stages, some of them will live, but it's like taking a human being and taking them out on a beach, a 100-degree beach in California, and then teleporting them to the North Pole in their, you know, underwear. Yeah. Boom. It's going to be cold. You're not going <laughs> to operate very well, right? No, you're going to be right. like, holy. And so, microorganisms are the same. You know, some of those microorganisms may make it through that process and they may wake back up when it becomes 75 degrees when the conditions are correct for them to to wake up for them to start grabbing the foods for them to start operating living right and and you're doing all of this because you're obviously seeing some benefit in your plants and in the flowers is that right Oh, absolutely. From our synthetic days to our organic days is the the flower flavor, the potency, the everything about the flower is so much better. It's the difference. Okay, maybe 14 to 16 soluble nutrients that you're feeding plants in a, in a bottle-fed program. And that's maybe if they're chelated and and the plant gets them in the right combinations to having the plant in control, sending out the exudates from photosynthesis and the bacteria and fungi, protozoan nematodes, they have, these bacteria and fungi have access to all of the minerals the plant needs. And it's at the behest of the plant that these bacteria and fungi are mining these mineral resources and the protozoa nematodes come along and they cycle these resources out of the bacteria and fungi. And this is like on a, a very, very quick basis. Like this is a, if the plant needs calcium. It's sending an exudate down for somebody to mine that calcium so that the plant can get that calcium. It's a very, very fast process. It's an amazing process. And this is what I what I love about um, the soil food web is the fact that um, it's it's a living organism. You can't really control it, but you can sort of guide it in the right way. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. It's all about setting up the conditions. We're all about creating those aerobic conditions that are going to select for the beneficial microorganisms in the soil versus the detrimental organisms in the soil. Um, once you set up the beneficial conditions, you're not going to have uh, nutrient cycling problems. If you have the proper diversity in the soil, you're going to build structure. The bacteria are the glues that bind soil particles together. The fungi are the strands that bind and 
pull and tie things together, building that structure so that once you have that soil structure, root systems can go as deep as they possibly can. Mm. The, the physiological limit of the root is dependent on that structure of the soil. If you're above 150 PSI, somewhere at a compaction level, your your roots will have a very hard time breaking through that compaction level. And not only that, water will stop at that compaction level. Water can't go through two different um, compaction layers. If if you find a compaction layer, your water is going to either settle or it's going to follow the grade of the land. So if your water settles at that compaction zone, you're going to have those detrimental you know, conditions, those anaerobic conditions. And those anaerobic conditions are some of the most toxic places for your plant roots. Some of those organisms create alcohol. They create some of the most toxic things for our plants. So we really want to build that structure so the roots can go as deep as they can, so they can actually get into those summer water. And when we build that structure, we also build pore spaces for water. So when your water comes through, you're storing water in those pore spaces, in that structure of the soil. If the conditions become detrimental and we lose those organisms, if structure is not built and nutrients aren't cycled, the anaerobic organisms will take over and your plants could die. Those waste materials are detrimental to plants. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about this makes me think about uh, the kiss the ground and the movement that they're doing of uh, promoting soil health and realizing that you know where where when we build soil biology, we're building soil health. We're um, making a filter for the water and also for the air. You know, there's been some uh, research about the tidal effect the gravity of the moon affecting not only the the tides in the ocean but the tides under the land that is actually um a, a breathing sort of uh mechanism that's happening it's pulling air down into the ground and then pushing it back out um we interviewed dr alan darlington and he was talking about uh cleaning air with biology and they basically do these sort of like biofilters and he was talking about one half second of contact with the soil microbes that are basically um, in a matrix and that's that's taking out like about 70% of the VOCs in half a second. So you can see there's real power in building that biology. Absolutely. Um, the structure and the aquifers, like the aquifers that we've been pumping out, our our chemical agriculture model is is polluting the rivers, the lakes, the streams, our oceans. Um, we're losing all of the organic matter into the air. Our nitrogen, our phosphorus, our sulfur—they're all being off gas because most of those conventional agriculture fields are anaerobic. So. When you put a chemical fertilizer, say you use potassium nitrate and you put on 100, 200 pounds per acre onto your field, you're only going to keep 20% of that. The rest of it, it's gone. It's rivers, lakes, oceans, streams, all of the, the, 
dams are silting up and it's it's causing ecological destruction on a massive scale. And that's just the fertilizers. That doesn't even count the pesticides, the herbicides, the fungicides, you know, all of those things that conventional agriculture is currently that the modus operandi is the exact opposite of the direction we need to go to heal our land, to help pull the CO2 out of the atmosphere, to tie that up into the fungi, into the exudates, into the soil biology, into the structure of the soil, into the organic matter pool. All of that can be reversed if we farm with biology. Mm, mm-hmm. So I'm interested, James, were you passionate about um, like ecological restoration before you started growing organically or was this sort of something that evolved with that? Oh, it, it was a complete organic evolution. It was, I didn't think about ecology, uh, water, waste, runoff, anything like that until I took Elaine's classes. As soon as I took Elaine's classes, it was just like a switch was turned on and a passion I wish I would have found in high school. Wow. Okay. That's cool. That's powerful. I mean, um, I'm interested to, to hear about, you know, what, you, what you've learned with Elaine and then learning about Korean natural farming as well. What, what sort of uh, led you into Korean natural farming? Well, actually, Instagram, to be honest with you. Okay. I had no idea about uh, Korean natural farming. I made my Instagram account, I guess, about two and a half years ago, two years ago, something like that. And you just start following growers and their methods and their methodologies. And I stumbled across somebody that was into KNF. And so I downloaded the Master Cho's the PDF that everyone has. And, and I dabbled with everything. I did everything. I've mm. still got ferments everywhere. Awesome. I'm really interested to know how that sort of lines up with what you learnt with um, the Soil Food Web and, and what sort of distinctions you make if there's some things that you would prefer over other in terms of career natural farming or um, sort of aerobic composting. Well, at the current time, we have not been messing with any KNF inputs. We're just trying to water compost only but as soon as we get deeper into the microscope i have a lot of things on my plate in terms of the certification program i need to really hammer down the the first three phases of the certification project and from there once i'm certified we're really going to start looking at um, the microscopy end of all of the KNF inputs, what's in those inputs, and what is the effect of a certain amount of that input going into the soil? What, what does that do to the balance of where we want to be in terms of the specific plant we are growing in terms of where we are in succession? So, um, We'll be doing a lot of microscopy and a lot of testing and individual things going into the soil and then looking at what's what's the effect of that going into the soil. What mm-hmm. what changed? Right. And that's just a uh, uh, a slow process, isn't it? You've got to just take one thing at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Or 
or you can just have a couple controls. This plant's going to get lab. This plant's going to get a little FPGA. This plant's going to get this. And just have a look at the soil before. What is the balance of biology? What is the biomass of bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods? And then what happens afterwards? Did we, did we add too much sugar to the system? Did we add too much this or that to the system? Did we change the balance? And how do we get back to the balance? Uh, that's basically where we want to go with that. Mm, mm-hmm. it's, all about, it's all about balance. For sure. Um, let's let's step back a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about the sort of the mindsets around the world and in terms of regenerative agriculture. Um, you know, coming back to this this conference that you were at, um, do you want to share a little bit about that and uh, share a little bit about the different mindsets that are coming to join together in regenerative agriculture? Well, that conference, I'll say, was probably one of the best places that I've been to. The group of people that attended that conference all pretty much have the same goals. They have the same mind. We're all in it for the regenerative, organic passion of it. We love building soil. We love talking about building soil. We love growing plants. It doesn't matter what type of plant. It doesn't need to be cannabis. It's it's a polyculture. We're growing vegetables with our cannabis. We're growing tomatoes, cucumbers. It's It was a really, really eye-opening experience from the regular kind of cannabis industry that you would think of. Much more organic, wholesome. It was like everybody was friends. Fantastic. And and what are you taking away from that conference that you want to um, implement in your grow? Well, not so much implement in my grow, but what I took away from that conference was there is so many more people who have the same ideals and goals. And where I am, I'm one of maybe two people, three people that I know that are doing this style of growing. And just to be amongst a whole group of people who are so passionate about soil, soil microbiology, and restoration of land, one farm at a time, right? Mm, mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you're working on at the present? Sort of any uh, lessons or research or anything that you want to share with us about what you're actually doing at the moment? Oh, lessons. My gosh, lessons. That's <laughs> an ongoing battle. It's, 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 you're always learning with this stuff. There's so much to learn. Uh, just like thermal compost, every aspect of everything we do from thermal composting to vermicomposting, um, brewing, um, all of that stuff. There has been so many Lessons and some of them have been pretty hard lessons. Um, we bought a, a compost tea brewer, and we didn't really really. It was a compost tea brewer that has a lot of fittings glued together, so it's really hard to clean. And it ended up accumulating some biofilm in it somewhere. I can't find it. It's somewhere in the crevices and cracks and crannies. And every single time we brewed something and looked at it under the microscope, it would brew umycetes, so uh, a pathogenic water-borne fungi. 
and just there's so many lessons it's it's amazing composting thermal composting is an art form let me tell you i've had more failed piles than i've had successful piles and it really all comes down to materials uh, moisture uh, there's there's so many little aspects to it and lessons that you learn by doing it's really learning by doing that's really taught me what to do and what not to do. And that's what I try to share on the Instagram feed so that people coming into these things, they can go, okay, well, we don't want to do this this way because we're going to be too wet. We're too much moisture in the compost, or we don't want to add too many vegetable scraps, for instance, or we don't want to add too much food to our worm bins and have that go anaerobic and dry in the fruit flies. So, Really, it's it's really been lessons by doing, and you really have to get out there and get your hands dirty, so to speak, to to learn all of these lessons. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've been working at Perth City Farm for the last six months and creating a composting system, and it's interesting, you know, on a, on a community level of teaching composting and sort of not necessarily making the best finished product, but um, processing all that waste or or the food scraps so that they don't go into landfill. So, you know, there is quite a bit of a a difference there, but I'd like to get your input on what would you recommend for someone who's just starting out in, in composting or like, you know, on a community composting level that doesn't have a microscope, what are some of the tips that you would give to someone starting out then? If, if you don't have a microscope, I would suggest the best form of composting would be vermicomposting. It's a passive process. Um, there's not a lot of maintenance to it other than feeding them. Um, static piles also work as well. But with static piles, you're probably going to want to thermally compost the material at the end. You're still going to have the weed seeds. You may still have, if there's manure in it, you still may have veterinary parasites. You still may have disease issues. Um, So vermicomposting, if you have enough worms in your system, they will deal with all of those problems for you. It's just a matter of time. Mm. Thermal composting is... You can do thermal composting. You can put a pile together, but the turning metrics and the Rubik's, the water, the moisture, the proper temperature, uh, et cetera, to kill the weeds, seeds, the disease, the pathogens, parasites, et cetera, it takes a little bit more monitoring and, and a knowledge of actually what's going on with the pile itself because you can get into a situation where you go anaerobic in the center and you're creating a bunch of alcohol at at 180 Fahrenheit or whatnot and you go to open the pile and poof, your pile just lights on fire because you've brought in all that oxygen into that anaerobic area where alcohol is being produced. Mm. Mm -hmm. So thermal, thermal composting can be a little bit dangerous and it's tricky, but once you master it, it's it's a, it's literally an art form. It's a beautiful process. Yeah, fantastic. I saw you um, making some uh, big piles with some some uh, mulched up trees and that sort of stuff. You want to share with us about what you were doing there? 
Yes, absolutely. We had some trees cut down in our yard so that we could get some more light. We had a whole bunch of alders in the last five years completely cover our garden space. So what I did is I had the tree trimmers come in and chip all of those branches and whatever they could into a pile. And every time they made a big enough pile, say three or four feet deep, I would come back across with a compost extract and spray down all the chips of the compost extract to really get that fungal biomass going on them. The end goal of that, those chip piles are the fungal woody component for the thermal compost piles we'll be building in the spring, summer, fall. Mm-hmm. So that's probably, those chips there will probably need about a year to sit and start to decompose because right away you have all of those uh, chemicals, those terpenes, those really complex molecular structures that you smell like the cedar and the pine and all that. All of those terpenes need to off-gas first, and then you'll start finding that the the, the mushroom, the, the fungi, will start really going into that pile. And in about six months, we should start seeing mycelium coming through there, and within you know a year, year and a half, that pile will be growing mushrooms and will be starting to be turned into soil through the process of decomposition by the fungi. Right. So, so you want to basically... Uh, let all those VOCs um, sort of break down or off-gas or whatever they do, and then you're getting the biology in there to really start um, making a start on all the lignin and that sort of stuff. Absolutely. All those complex fungal foods will start to be broken down, and we will use that those wood chips for our compost. And talk about indigenous microorganisms. I mean, we're chipping up trees. We're chipping up some of the healthiest, most productive parts, and there's significant biology across all of those surfaces. Right. So I, that's that's a good distinction to make, though, is that you're actually you want to get the biology from around that area, um, but then you're still uh, wanting to get the the more of the fungal component rather than the bacterial component. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. The bacteria doesn't seem to be an issue in most soils. Bacteria is everywhere. The problem in most soils is the fungal component. We as human beings have imposed our will and compaction and whatever the whatever has happened to the soil. Most soils are bacterially dominant and we really want to get that fungal dominance back into the soil or that fungal component back into the soil so that we can have healthy brassicas, mid-successional grasses, vegetables, row crops, pastures, bushes, vines, etc. As you go through plant succession, the fungal ratio increases. So you go from the early successional brassicas where it's not very fungal to the mid-successional grasses, vegetables, the things that we love to grow in our gardens. They're not quite equal biomass, but they're somewhere between 0.5 and 0.8 to 1. And then you get into your productive row crops, your highly productive pastures. Those are in a 1 to 1 fungal to bacterial ratio. And then you move on into your bushes, your vines, your deciduous forest, your old growth forest. And as you go through that successional process, 
the fungal component, the fungal biomass in an old growth forest is completely different than, say, your mid-successional grasses and vegetables. Uh, in your row crops, for instance, you are at an equal biomass of fungi to bacteria. So when you're getting nutrients into the plant, say your nitrogen is coming in a little bit of nitrate, a little bit of ammonium. So you, you've got that balance. And as you get into the old growth forest where you're primarily fungi, the bacterial biomass doesn't really decrease in those systems. It's just that your fungal component comes up so much more because of all of the the detritus, the litter layer, all of the things falling onto the ground, all of those fungal foods. So when you get into that really old growth system, you are primarily, as a, a tree, you're taking up ammonium. If there's any nitrate in that fungal or in that forest system, you're going to cause disease. Nitrate in those forest systems causes disease. Right. So, so really you want to uh, cater to the plants that you're uh, growing or cultivating on a, a piece of land to know what kind of uh, s- s- bacteria to fungal ratio, ratio they want. Absolutely. Absolutely. You f- we find that all of the plants that we love to grow are in our vegetable gardens, those mid-successional grasses and vegetables are around a 0.5 to 0.8 to 1 fungal to bacterial. That's where they do the best. That's where you get the healthiest growth. There's zero nutrient imbalances, zero pest pressure. There's no disease. Um, your plants taste good. They're full of nutrients. Mm. They're, flav- they're flavorful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that is the connection uh, in the probiotic life, you know, in connecting the soil, building that healthy soil, healthy plants, then you eat them. If you can eat them straight out of the ground, you know, then you're getting all the uh, the microbes on there as well and all that nutrition. That's what really fires me up about connecting the soil health to the human health. Well, and that's, that's where we... We, 150 years ago with Louis Pasteur and all of his German disease work, we, after that, we really couldn't, you know, differentiate between the good and the bad. So we just went on a sterilization crusade. We said, it's all bad. We have to, we have to kill all of the microorganisms. We have to sterilize everything. And when we did that, when we made that, that switch in the late 1800s, early 1900s, we started losing our connection to our microbial allies, to our environment. We, we, Everything got canned, right? Everything got pasteurized. All of those microorganisms that we require, that we evolved with, we went on a crusade to destroy them. And we're at a point now where more people have some type of chronic illness or chronic disease than not. Mm-hmm. And I really believe it, it has to do with the food we're consuming the lack of nutri- nutrition in the food we're consuming, and not to mention all of the the chemicals, the sprays, the Roundup. Just Roundup itself is a terrible thing for your body. It's it's an awful thing. It's a bactericide. Mm, mm-hmm. But there is this groundswell of movement of, of people 
trying to figure out how to live healthy, a fermented food, a keto diet, all this sort of stuff. Um, and it's like a rising tide raises all ships where, where it's, there's uh, more of a, uh, a consciousness about this uh, that we didn't actually really know that, 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 you know, a couple hundred years ago wasn't an issue. Yeah, we, we just went on the wrong, we took the wrong path, basically. We went left when we should have gone right. We should have go. teamed up with our microbial allies, which we're just starting to realize now how much the microbiome affects everything in your body. We are, we, we evolved with these microorganisms. We are a part of them. Mm. We, mm-hmm. we need them in our body all over our body, protecting us. Mm-hmm. And I see so many uh, research papers come out all the time. In fact, I don't even read them all anymore. I just read the headlines like, yep, yep, okay, the microbiome is important. Yep, there's a gut-brain connection, yep. Like uh, yep. It's, uh, it's almost overwhelming the amount of information that's coming in now about the microbiome and how important it actually is to our health. Well, and, and it's such an awesome thing too because it's going to bring us back to the soil. Where where do all of those microorganisms come from? From the foods, the the things that we eat, the things that we touch, our environment, right? All of those things that we are currently in the middle of destroying. Mm-hmm. So let's change direction a little bit, James. And I'd love to hear about your setup, your grow setup, what you're actually doing there. And, uh, and what you're implementing um, in your grow. So currently, we are growing in 10-gallon uh, pots, which this will be our last 10-gallon pot grow because the smaller pots just don't give you the soil volume, the plant interconnectedness. It's just too much of a even though there's cover crops growing with them, it's just too much of a like a mono crop for me. I, I just don't feel like even though we grow some beautiful plants and some beautiful flower, I just don't. I, I know we're not getting everything we could out of the soil, so we're going to be finishing up this last round in our ten gallon pots, and we are going to be building four beds. And we'll be building a whole bunch more soil with all the compost and vermicompost that we've been making over the last year. And we are going to go to a complete automated uh, blue mat watering system, polyculture, uh, canvas style grow with, it's basically going to be all the foods that I want to eat, my wife and I want to eat, and cannabis. So we're going to be growing onions and anything that fits in that cannabis successional area where you're... Uh, mid-successional grasses, vegetables, and your highly productive pastures and grow crops build, grow. So anything within that window, we're going to try to grow inside of the room with the cannabis plants as well. Because, I mean, it's in BC here, we can only, we only have certain amount of grow time. And it's it ends up, the winters can come quite fast. The rain can come quite fast. So it's going to be nice to have that indoor polyculture bed where you go into your garden and say, I want a couple carrots and a beet. And oh, good. The cannabis plants look good. And then go to your kitchen and make some food. Fantastic. That's awesome. That sounds like a, a really good um, symbiosis of, uh, of growing everything there. That sounds like you're doing the indoor bed, sort of like uh, I was looking on Instagram, freshwater farms. Are you familiar with them? 
Yes, they are awesome. Those guys are great. Love Joshua Steenland. Love what they're doing. Um, I'm super jealous of their setup. Every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had that. <laughs> but it, but you're doing a similar thing, right? Like um, big indoor raised grow beds, are they? Yep. We don't have a very big room. Our room is maybe 15 by 16, but... Yes, we are doing the whole raised beds, the polyculture, and the way the way things in nature should be. Fantastic. And so then, uh, are you doing any sort of outdoor gardens? Oh, absolutely. We do everything. My wife just goes crazy. We have, I think we had 12 or 13 varieties of tomatoes last year, three giant garlic beds, uh, a brassica bed, uh, a whole greenhouse full of massive massive hot peppers uh that my wife fermented all down into fermented hot sauce and we've been eating fermented hot sauce now for months uh, <laughs> awesome. potatoes like it medicinal herbs and the tuli tuli basil and or the suli and like the yarrow and the comfrey and we just i just love growing everything it doesn't matter what it, i love growing grass as long as it's healthy and soil food web grown Fantastic. Yep. It sounds like a, uh, a good little setup to try some, some practical applications of seeing what works and what doesn't work. Would you say it's, it's big enough to be able to do what you want to actually learn or do, would you want something that's bigger? Oh, no. Well, for, for our – well – uh, we always want something bigger. We're looking at buying uh, properties. So we've got horse, and we'd like to get another horse, and you know, some donkeys and other other farm animals. But for now, we it's it's good enough for now. But of course, we want to go bigger. But we are able to turn a piece of dirt this year. We keep every year we keep tilling up a piece of compacted dirt. This used to be an old pitch and putt where we live. So, uh, it had constant traffic, lots of heavy machinery, concrete pads all over the place for the pitch and putt and driving range and all that stuff. So you can imagine the heavy compaction. So we've been taking one spot every year and we've been, um, covering the soil with, uh, inoculated straw, wood chips, some green materials, and then tilling them into the soil and then covering them again with straw and bark mulch in the wintertime. And then come springtime, we'll plant a cover crop and then we'll plant, like last year we did tomatoes in this bed. And I was, to be honest with you, I was surprised and amazed at how well the tomatoes did. We had so many tomatoes. It was unbelievable. And that was a, a compacted piece of dirt that wasn't even growing weeds. There was nothing there. It was so compacted, like the weeds were just barely living in that space. And we turned it from that bare soil into an extremely productive mid-successional vegetable garden in just, in just less than a season. Wow. So, so that was really, you did add some, uh, so first you tilled it. Then you add some um, compost to it. Is that right? And then you added nope. no compost. Well, well, yeah, we did compost. But the very first thing that went on was uh, a mulch layer and a – we basically put a whole bunch of organic materials on the soil because it's just – it was literally just sand, silt, clay, just the, the, the bedrock material, the base material of – 
um, the chemical structure of the, the soil. Right. So we, we threw the straw down. We threw compost on top of that. We threw wood chips on top of that. We threw some green materials, some organic um, orchard grass that we got for our horse. And we tilled all of that in. But it had already been pre-inoculated in big tanks with a compost extract. So I made a giant tank of compost extract and just threw the bales inside of the thing and let them sit there for 20 minutes. So they really soaked it up. Wow. And then we threw that all on the land and then tilled that in. Right. And so so you it, are tilling it in. So does that um, that breeds up the bacteria real quick then when you, uh, when you uh, till it in, right? Well, it wasn't so much bacteria because most of the foods that went down were fungal foods. It will. The the whole goal of that tillage event was to break up that compaction layer and to get the biology as deep as we could get it. Because the deeper you can get it, the further impact you will have on that soil structure. The easier the plants will be able to get to that four or five foot depth oh, and I continue, continue to root um, and the microorganisms use those roots as basically freeways. So we're getting all of that biology deep into the soil. And then, and then we're hoping the plants, the roots, and the fungi will be able to break up any of the compaction, the aggregates, the, you know, any of the solid clay layers that are below. Sure, sure. So it, it's, you're not um, concerned about the, um, having too much organic matter that it goes anaerobic in there. No, because it's again, it's it's mostly fungal food, and uh, we're feeding the fungi. We're also feeding the bacteria, but not so much. So, if you were to put a whole bunch of green materials or high nitrogen materials, you would definitely go anaerobic. But because of the the kinds and qualities of resources that we're putting into the soil, will dictate the effect that has in the soil as it's breaking down, decomposing and whatnot. You're not going to have these gigantic bacterial blooms in that really fungally, fungal food mix, right? Fantastic. I, th I think that's a, a important distinction to make too, is what kind of food you're putting down, what kind of stuff you're chopping and dropping. If you are doing, um, you know, sort of a no-till system, uh, that it's not necessarily a bad thing to to till to get the everything started. Well, absolutely, and 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 a lot of times you have to. You absolutely have to till to that depth of compaction. If you find compaction at two feet, well, what are your plants' roots going to do when they get to that spot? Mm. They're going to go sideways. They're going to go left and right. And the only plants that root in a very shallow depth are your weeds and your early successional grasses. So you're going to be fighting with these plants that their sole goal is to suck as much nutrient from the soil, make seed for the next generation. They're, that's the definition of a weed mm. is super short, fast, bust and boom life seed next generation so if your roots can only go down two feet you're not going to have access to the water you're not going to have access to the nutrients you're constantly going to be fighting and what's happening at that two foot compaction depth or four foot compaction depth is the water sitting there and puddling and pooling and going anaerobic well as soon as your roots get into that zone they're going to 
not go in there because they're going to get fried. Mm. Some of those toxic compounds that are created will kill the roots, will kill your plants. Some of the aldehydes, like there's some of the worst things for your plants. So you have to get rid of that compaction layer or as much of it as you can so that you can start building the structure with the bacteria, the fungi, the, the roots, right? Fantastic. I think that's that's really um, important to understand that. And I think you laid that out very clearly uh, that you need that structure in there and getting – to me what I'm taking out of this is actually getting a bit more um, fungal activity going on in the soil. Well, yeah, because that's – especially in a bare soil. In a bare soil, you have – you know, you're going to be looking at mostly bacteria – uh, you might find a bacterial feeding nematode or two, but they're probably going to be root feeding nematodes, the ones you don't want. And as, as you bring up that fungal component, you build structure in your soil. They're, they're the ones that tie and bind. If you were to think about the bacteria and building a brick house, the bacteria are the glues. They're the mortar that holds the bricks together. They're the ones that are going to make that initial structure and bind all the sand, silt, clays, organic matter to together. And then the fungi come in. They bind and twine, pull together, and they make the, the, the windows, the doors, the skylights. They make that structure in the soil. So as you get more fungally dominant in your soil, you are going to be building more structure. Fantastic. And as you get more structure, you're uh, creating uh, better infiltration for the water you're creating a healthier ecosystem altogether, isn't that right? Oh yeah, um, you're built. When you build structure, you, you save on water. You're you no longer have the compaction, the puddling. They're your watering requirements. In some of the work that they've been doing, um, in the first year, the watering they were able to reduce watering requirements on some farms by fifty to eighty percent. Wow! So that's that is huge. Not not to mention, not to mention, once you build that structure in your soil, your plants are healthy. You 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 create nutrient cycling. You're not um, your plants aren't suspect to disease, to pest issues, to poor fertility. Um, building structure is the foundation of building soil. You need the structure in the soil to be called soil. Fantastic. Building structure is the foundation of building soil. I like that. That's that's. I think that's a a good thing to sort of uh, uh, meditate on for the for the uh, coming up to the end of this podcast. <laughs> so uh, let's let's actually connect that to living a probiotic life. What, what what are some of the takeaways that you would like people to to understand, um, or you know something that maybe we haven't necessarily talked about specifically connecting what you're doing to living a probiotic life? Well, living a probiotic life really to me means connecting ourselves to our environment, becoming connected to our environment, to the biology in our environment, the microbial allies that we reply upon for health, healthy soil, which creates healthy nutrient-dense foods, microbially rich 
foods and plants, which creates healthy animals. And healthy animals who eat healthy plants, if you eat meat, you're going to have healthy animals to eat. You're going to have healthy plants to eat. And it's it it's almost like a revolving door of recycling. We, we are part of the soil. Everything we take from the soil impacts us on such a, a, a massive level. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, uh, you know, we can just start by making some compost at home or whatever, but we've got to realize that everything that we do is affected by the soil. Yeah, it really all starts with the soil because that's where your beneficial microorganisms are. Um, when you think about a plant growing in soil, that plant is covered. Every single surface of that plant is covered in bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes at the behest of the plant, giving those microorganisms exudates. It's like a, a human sweating. But instead of any pathogens or any bad guys coming, if you have healthy soil, you're going to have all of the good guys covering every single surface of that leaf. And those are the foods that we need to consume because those are the foods that are going to inoculate our digestive system and everything with those healthy, beneficial organisms that, again, we evolved with. Fantastic. You know, it, it, when you when you describe that, it makes me think it's so much better than just taking a probiotic pill. You know, I'm not necessarily a fan of taking anything that, that's uh, like a probiotic that's been a strain, that's been isolated, that's been, um, you know, dehydrated, and then you, you take it as a pill because, first of all, you, you, you might be getting some benefit from that, but you're not necessarily – being connected to the food that you grow, you're not you're, you're not necessarily being connected um, to the environment that surrounds you. So um, coming back to it, you know, soil and plants. That's it's funny you mentioned that because that's a running joke with my wife and I. Every time I see something on the shelf that says probiotic, I literally run over to it and grab it, and I'll read her the one species of Bacillus bacteria or the. <laughs> one species of yeast or something like that in there. And I'll just be like, Oh my God, it's got probiotics, bro. <laughs> but, yeah. but I mean, it's just that running joke where it's again, the, the industry trying to sell you something you don't need. If you want bacillus bacteria and species, thousands of species of yeast, etc., get some organic vegetables, make some kimchi, Make some sauerkraut. Beat kvass. I mean, beat kvass. You can't go wrong with it. These are the foods that make that bottle on the store shelf a joke. When you actually look in a microscope and you see, oh my God, there's not one species of bacillus. There's like 30 species of bacillus in there. There's uh, diplobacillus, lactobacillus. Like, it blows your mind. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's a, a a great thing to to mull over, you know, like the fact that we can make all this stuff at home. We can make it really easily, and we're going to be spending time uh, connecting to ourselves, uh, caring for ourselves, really, and caring for the earth. Well, and the best thing about making stuff like that is you can bring in your whole family. 
you can, if you have kids, you can show them like, we are doing this because of this. And there's, there's such a, uh, a gap in knowledge in growing and food and the environment and your own personal health that it we really need to focus not only on the farmers tilling the land right now and destroying the land and using Roundup, but we need to focus on the kids. There are so many kids in schools in my neighborhood and in, in my area that all have communal gardens. And everyone you talk to, they all go to their communal gardens and they all plant their plants and they all do their things. What a better place to start and to teach young minds what soil biology is, what what it is to to farm because they love to, to plant. They love to watch things grow. I remember when I was in grade three and I planted a sunflower, I was absolutely ecstatic when it was growing. For sure. Yeah. I, we actually do uh, workshops like that. Um, where we just, you know, simply talk about soil a little bit, get a little bit of compost, a little bit of potting mix, plant a sunflower seed in there, and just to see um, the reactions when the kids come back and they 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 show you their sunflower that's, you know, like, I don't know, 30 centimeters high, and it's like, wow, this thing is actually alive and it's growing, and I helped uh, create the environment for that. That's just fantastic yeah. to see that. Yeah, and. And they're so excited. They're so excited about how it's growing. Because I remember, I remember doing it too and being so excited and putting on the windowsill and growing in the sun and throwing it out in the yard in the summertime and letting it go. It was just amazing. And that's where we need to start. We need to really open up everyone's minds that the chemical industry isn't the way to go. What we're being sold leaves us on the hook to go back. We're growing plants on a bottle. Like a baby, like a baby on a bottle. Without the bottle, the the plant dies. So there is so much more than just what we've been taught for, you know, since World War One, World War Two, when they took all those bombs and made fertilizers out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a great place to land on, James. You know, how can people connect with you? Sort of. On Instagram, or we'll put that link up there. But any other ways that people can connect with you, or you can share your information with people? Well, currently, all I have is my microbe herder Instagram. Um, as I progress through my uh, certification training program with Dr. Elaine Ingham, I'm going to be starting a uh, ecological restoration, soil restoration business, but that won't be for a little while. So, uh, keep that in mind. Um, but for now, all I have is the microbe herder. Fantastic. Well, uh, we'll definitely put that link up there and everybody go check out, uh, the fantastic plants that James is growing there. James, we want to say thank you so much for being here today on the probiotic life and sharing your wisdom with us. No, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. I, I had a very good time. Fantastic. I love the passion that James has for the soil food web. Uh, That stuff gets me really excited too. And I hope you could make some distinctions there between human health and the soil health. And what did you think about that fungal to bacterial ratio? I found that fascinating. I think I also said fantastic a bunch of times too. Anyways, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. That would be great. 
Don't forget to check out what James is doing on Instagram at microbeherder. We always love hearing from you guys. So reach out to us and tell us how you are living a probiotic life. May the beneficial microbes be with you. And until next time, cheers. Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life. I don't know why. I just love soil biology.